Mac Power Users, Episode 588, Mac OS Services with Sal Segoyan. Welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. David, how are you? I am excited, Stephen. We got a great show lined up today. We do. It's it's one of those fun episodes where it's both topical, but we also have a guest. So I've been looking forward to this one. Uh, what are we doing today? We're talking about services. And as we were working on the outline, I kept making notes to myself. Like, I want to send an email off to Sal Segoyan to ask a couple questions about how this happened or that happened or what we can do. And the list kept getting longer and longer. And finally, I just sent him an email like just a few days before we recorded and the nicest thing happened. He said, why don't I just come on the show? Actually, I invited him on the show and he said, I'll come on the show. So welcome to the show, Sal. Hey, how are you? Thank you so much for uh, asking me on. It's so good to have you back. It's been a couple of years since you've been on the show. Um, for listeners that don't know Sal, um, Sal was the I call him the grand poobah of automation on the Mac. I, I don't know if that's the official title, but but he worked at a fruit company for many years and was one of the key movers behind the development of uh, Auto the Automator and the automation tools they have and, and a lot of the automation stuff that was coming out of Apple. And I had the pleasure, when you were still there, of taking the two-day AppleScript course from you at Macworld like 12 years ago. I don't know. It was a long time wow. ago. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to make you feel bad. Wow. But, yeah. <laughs> but it was so fun, and I learned so much from you. And then and you're no longer with Apple. Now you're out, and you're doing a bunch of, of work. Like Sal is one of the, the key movers behind the Omni JavaScript automation move and, um, and doing a lot of great automation stuff. We've had a lot of programmers on the show over the years, but the thing I love about Sal is Sal is not a programmer, although he can program. He's an automator. He likes to create automations. And the thing we're talking about today is a feature on the Mac. And kind of the reason this came up, Steve and I were kind of brainstorming ideas for the show. And we're like, you know, something nobody really uses enough is services. Hmm. And um, and so we're going to talk today at length about services. If you've got a Mac, listen to this show, because we're going to talk about some techniques and things you can do to to automate stuff on your Mac without that much work and and make things like so much better. And uh, and Sal, you were also very involved at Apple with the way services evolved. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was a really uh, fun and interesting period uh, in Apple's history. A lot of change going on. It was around the time of Snow Leopard. And uh, the automation team uh, took on the challenge of cleaning up the services architecture that we had inherited from the days of Next. They used to have a services menu that they still have today, but it was uh, pretty much like, uh, you know, the odd couple. It was a dorm room closet full of all kinds of stuff that was some of which was useful. And we took on the challenge of cleaning that up and integrating the t automation tools that we had in place, Automator, AppleScript, into the services architecture so that it would be contextual and so that you would have the power that you need at the point of need, wherever you need it in the operating system, whether it was a file in the finder or selected text in mail or in a program, 
you could get the power of automation delivered right to your cursor. Yeah, and that legacy services menu, listeners may may bump into it once in a while. If you go to the menu bar for any app and you click on the app name, like if it's Safari, you click on Safari, and you'll see about halfway down, there's a menu option called services. And back in the old days, before Snow Leopard, I remember it would barf up just a big list of things. Like I, I remember conversion to Chinese was always prevalent. You know, I never really understood why my computer was trying to get me to write in Chinese all the time, but that was like the one that stood out to me, but it was like a, a large menu. And, um, and I thought that was real clever when Safari came out. I'm sorry, when Snow Leopard came out that you guys found a better use for that. Yeah. And, uh, I, I believe it was my guess that management was very happy that we took on that challenge because nobody wanted to walk into that closet. And the automation team working hand in hand with uh, Ali Ozer's team doing the low level Mac OS 10 functions. Together, we worked on it and really developed a, a fantastic interface that still is functional today and still usable today and still innovative today, as a matter of fact. It delivers functionality on your Mac, and if you have a touch bar, you can even create contextual workflows that show up on the touch bar, and you can just tap them to execute the kind of things that you need done. Now, one of the things you told me as we were prepping for today's show was this concept of the point of need, and Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of fascinating. Could you explain that? Sure. Uh, For example, let's say we're in the Finder and I have an audio file selected and I want to do something with that audio file. Well, for me, the point of need is that file that that I need some kind of control or some kind of ability right there. And usually the computer is set up so that you go to the menu bar at the top and then you have to navigate a bunch of menus trying to find is there anything in here that can help me encode this or, you know, add it to a library or do whatever it is you're going to do. And quite often, unless you're in a specific program, there is no ability, even though the computer has all these APIs for dealing with audio files, there's usually nothing right up there for you. So if you look in closer around it, you can find there's an action menu in the finder and it displays basically like a subset of some of the other commands in the finder. And you can do a common thing like compress it or move it or delete it or something like that. But when it comes to a contextual function on that audio file, that's the point of need. And the whole purpose behind services was to deliver functionality and power at the point of need. So for example, you could click on the audio file, right-click it, bring up a contextual menu, and then on that menu would be services that do things with audio. For example, one of the ones that we shipped in the operating system from Snow Leopard on was uh, basically encode into MPEG. So you could take any audio files, right-click it, click encode, an interface would come up, you'd choose the settings you want, and it would encode the file right there on the desktop. Uh, If you had five PDF files and you wanted to combine them into a single document instead of five different documents, right? 
then you could just select the five PDF files and the services menu that was at the point of need would be contextual and it would know, oh, you got PDF files selected. I'm going to show you all the services related to PDF. And then you could say combine and it would bring up uh, an interface, ask you where you want to save the new file and you would save it. It would open up in preview and combine all those things for you automatically. So this concept was point delivering power at the point of need. And gang, I'm this is where I'm going to toot Sal's horn for him because not only did he address that point of need with built-in services that we would all like, like the ability to combine a PDF or encode an audio file, but he made a hook in there where you can create your own service. And we're going to get to that in a while, but just imagine this. Let's say you've got a coworker and every Monday you've got to email them a spreadsheet. So the point of need is this file on your desktop. By the end of this show, you're going to be able to right-click on that and have a custom service that creates the email to the coworker, attaches the, the file, and sends it off to them. You know, that's the kind of stuff you can do with this. And um, I always feel like, you know, Snow Leopard was the, you know, the update that everybody said was not in, that you know, didn't get new features. Yeah. But <laughs> Apple said that. <laughs> yeah. Sal, Sal Sagoyan just rewrote the whole automation book at the same time. And nobody ever mentioned it. You know? Yeah. It was the, the unknown feature here. We redid the plumbing for your house totally and added all <laughs> kinds of special home automation features and nobody wanted to talk about it. Yeah, but you didn't just redo the plumbing. You installed one of those fancy Japanese toilets. I mean, you really did the <laughs> oh, job, yeah, buddy. Yeah, we even had a koi pond. You know, we really <laughs> threw the stuff in there. And then they didn't want to talk about it. They said, no, this is a no feature OS, but it's got features. And it was overruled by marketing. So in the end, uh, the quality of that architecture proves itself every day. And people... I've heard from people and seen people use this architecture and it, it's widely adapted and used and people love it. Yeah, and not only that, I, I know for a fact that this was a large part of the inspiration for a little app on the iPhone called Workflow, which eventually became Shortcut. So um, this is a very important step in the world of automation, ultimately on the iPhone and iPad. Yep, it was bringing uh, component automation to the masses. You know, when I first showed Automator to Steve, uh, he got that pretty quickly. I, I gave him a demo and uh, he, he looked at it and stopped me after 10 seconds of the demo and spit back to me or <laughs> exactly what the program did, why it was designed the way it was. And he told me, you know, the whole architecture of it and explained it to me just by watching it and then said, go on, you know, and we did the demo. And the next thing I know, I was on stage with him at WWDC showing mm -hmm. off Automator, which became part of the operating system. It wasn't part of the operating system. It was a, a project by some really great people, uh, Eric Payton, Tim Bumgarner, Todd Fernandez, Chris Nebel, myself, John Quelo. And a bunch of people worked on the side for a while on the concept of a Unix pipeline combined with scripting and making components and hooking them together. And finally, through services, why this was so important was it allowed us to put it under the cursor. 
Yeah. And bring it up to the user level where they didn't have to go searching for special development tools. It was right at the point of need. And you could finally see the advantage of automation and finally be able to, you know, have these kind of tools at your disposal, which is quite unique. Automator gives you access to every API in the operating system. And it's very open and very powerful. But you're right, David, it did define this whole thing about component automation, where you create uh, a workflow by linking actions together and data passes through that. And then, you know, Ari and the guys took that and took it over into the world of workflow and shortcuts. And Apple was smart enough to get them to come on board and they brought it to iOS. You know, I, I'm not familiar with any um, other kind of Lego style automation before Automator. I mean, even like my beloved HyperCard didn't really work that way. How did you come up with the idea? Well, uh, very serendipitous. Uh, Eric Payton was working on a, a pipeline for Unix, and Tim Bungarner was the architect behind AppleScript Studio. You know, uh, sure. When we incorporated AppleScript as a peer development language in, in, into Project Builder in Xcode, there was an Xcode at the time, but Project Builder. And he was working on something. And then the two of them got together because they heard about each other. And that was the nugget. And then my role was to help guide uh, the, the, some of the concepts and to develop all the individual nuggets, the actions. So the original thing was like 400 Apple script actions that I sat down and wrote myself as a proof of concept. Sure. And we put it together and, you know, uh, tried to get a higher level some uh, to take it on in the organization. And we, we went from group to group to group. And with each vice president, they changed the interface to match what they thought was the right thing. And one VP wanted us to have like a garage band interface. And another one had, no, you need to have a multi-column thing with this. And so for in the development of Automator, we actually had a menu that would switch the interface wow. <laughs> depending upon who we were demoing to. Interesting. <laughs> and it, it didn't get actually into the operating system until I sat... Uh, in the hallway in front of Steve's demo room over in building three. And I wouldn't move until they let me in to show it to him. It was, you know, before WWDC and he was reviewing projects and I just sat on the ground next to the door. And then finally I got in at the end of the day, like five o'clock or so. And I, I showed it to SJ and, and he loved it. And, you know, asked me if I wanted to be in the show and that weekend, uh, you know, we started preparing and I went up and worked uh, on my presentation with him and Katie Cotton. And the rest was, you know, history. I brought it on stage and everybody just loved it. Yeah. So uh, Sal Segoyan, automation squatter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's how things get done sometimes. It's sure. strange, but true. It's it, it, you think that everything's planned, but no, it's actually a company. It's a living, breathing entity. And sometimes it's just a matter of two people meet in the hallway at the same time. And the next thing you know, you have magic. 
I forgot to mention, guys, I got so excited about today's show, I totally skipped the intro. Um, but for more power users listeners, Sal told me a very funny story about once he was giving about to give a presentation to Steve Jobs and Apple's IT department wiped his Mac with all his scripts on it. And he had to rebuild his scripts while Steve was walking around the room. And uh, we're going to talk about that in more powers. It's a very <laughs> funny story. <laughs> you want me to relive the nightmare? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. We're going to talk about that later. It, it, it turned out to, it tur- the story turned out to have a happy ending. So don't worry about that. That's good. Uh, I want to get uh, back to this idea of the the point of need a little bit. Uh, when when you look at uh, services on the Mac, like you said, they're they're input aware, they're contextual, they know the type of file or your location, whatever you're doing, and, and find wherever else you are. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about how some of these categories maybe were decided upon. And currently in Big Sur, you have uh, services for pictures messaging, files and folders, searching, text, development, and then the catch-all general. Uh, And I'm curious if there was something in that list that maybe wasn't apparent in the beginning or something that you had wanted to let services be aware of, but it didn't pan out. Is there anything interesting there? Yeah. When we were developing this whole concept of, okay, we we decided that we were going to have component architecture where you would build your automation recipe, let's call it a recipe, right? By adding these different components. And then we figured that apps would could contribute components, uh, actions, we, they're called actions. That applications could have their own actions and you could have third-party actions. You could write your own because they would just be wrappers for you know the Objective-C frameworks or whatever you were doing or apple script or shell and then it came the process of oh well how do we expose this to the user in a way that is familiar to them and at the same time also have some specificity to it so there is a switch in automator that allows you to show the actions as either grouped by category or by application. And uh, if you're using a specific application like Acorn or Photos or Pixelmator or you know whatever application you're using, remote desktop, you could see the actions that pertain just to it if you want. Or if you're working with something in general like Photos, then you can see a combination of all the different actions that would be available, and you could have a choose. You could choose between the ones that you wanted to use. So we decided to go with categories as a nominal approach that could also switch to application specific. It's really challenging, though. You, you really hit a great point. There is when you have this much power, how do you expose this to a user? who doesn't have a sophistication about that and how do you make it so that they can go, Oh, I'm building a recipe. I'm going to cut the carrots, cut the celery, cut the onions. I'm going to mix them together. I'm going to heat and then I'm going to serve. And that becomes their workflow. So how do you present that to them in a way they can understand? And that's how we came up with categories and applications. Does that answer your question? Uh, yeah, I think it does. I mean, it it seems 
like now with, you know, years of hindsight, like, of course, it would be aware based on, OK, you're dealing with a photo. But I think it was so smart to build it that way, because, like you said, a, a user who's just exploring this for the first time, that's how they think about it. right? They think about what can I do with this photo, not the other way around. And I, I find it super interesting that toggle still exists in automator today. It's under the I think it's under the view menu. In fact, I when building things in automator, very often will switch between them trying to find yeah. uh, what I'm looking for. So that's a that's a great tip in there, too. Yeah, uh, you know, this was very innovative at the time. Uh, you were taking a, a really challenging thing of providing access to all the APIs of applications and the operating system and figuring out a way to make them compo- generalized components that could be used in a variety of ways and then how to expose that to the user. And one of the more challenging things about this whole concept of automation that applies to shortcuts, that applies to automator, that applies to any situation, is getting the user to think in terms of steps. Like, okay, think of it as a recipe. Uh, How do you do a recipe? Well, okay, I usually acquire things, I process them, and then I deliver them. And so, okay, now what steps do you do? Well, I cut, like I said, I cut the carrots, I cut the onions, I cut the celery. And then each one of those becomes a step that you add into a recipe. And the challenge is always getting people to think that. Because a lot of times people don't think about the steps involved in what they want. They just go, okay, I want to send this email to to Bob by, you know, with this very stuff formatted and this way. They don't think about the steps involved in that. They just think about what they want to do. So the challenge with an automation application like Automator has always been of getting people to think in terms of steps. Because if you open it up, then you go, I don't know what to do with this. You know, tell me what to do. (laughs) But that's Mm -hmm. not what it's for. If you have something you want to do, then it becomes useful. But if you don't know what it is you want to do, then you can just poke around and look at it, but it's not going to uh, automatically build something for you. So we tried a couple interfaces. There was actually uh, one or two interfaces we tried where it would ask you questions. So you want to do one of these things. You want to create a new email, all right? And then you would select that. Then it would ask you another question, and then it could guide you through that. But what we found with that was once you did that once or twice, it pretty much got in the way. Because once you understood the concept of creating a a recipe, then that whole interface gets in the way, and it's really complex to try to do for all the different topics. So then we decided, well, it should be marketing that really shows that and it should ship with lots of example workflows as well so people could just see. But, you know, the way that uh, software development is, is it quite often ends up that you ship the product and then when you want the support material, they don't let you do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think you can can see that sort of, uh, craftsmanship in it today because if you look in automator or in the services section of system preferences most of these things have names that are very descriptive of what they're going to do right it, it, if i look mm-hmm. in just like the preview uh examples in automator today it's 
change type of images, create thumbnail images, flip images, very simple language mm-hmm. that someone who doesn't have a CS degree can just look at and say, oh, this is what I need to do. Let me drag this one in. Right. Yeah. And that was one of the things I was going to compliment you on because it is so accessible. Um, just a few weeks ago, I had an email from a listener that was a dentist who had to like encrypt a bunch of PDFs, probably HIPAA stuff. And, um, and he says, could you help me with that? I said, I'm really busy, but I would do it in automator. And then he wrote me back a few days later and says, Oh, don't bother. I figured it out. And like, (laughs) if I had told him, uh, you could write that in Apple script, you know, he would have just given me the finger, you know, it just never would have, would have happened. So it really is very accessible. Yeah. And it, here's a little tidbit for you. Actually, those the PDF actions that are there, I think, were originally written in Python <laughs> by the, the, the printer. The print team contributed a set of uh, PDF actions and the guy that did them uh, was very knowledgeable with Python and he wrote them in Python. And because Automator is sitting on top of the Mac OS X frameworks, it's language agnostic. It works with any language that works in the operating system. So Python, you could write them in Python and Ru- or Ruby or Objective-C. You, you could write them in AppleScript. A lot of people had the misconception that Automator was an interface for AppleScript. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, AppleScript's one of the languages that it supports. But Automator actually provides direct access to all the different uh, frameworks and languages that are part of Mac OS X that make it so powerful. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps to get 20% off your family plan. Now you're listening to Mac Power Users, so you understand the importance of internet security and how many bad guys there are out there. But how many people in your family don't get that? I have an assignment for you this week. I want you to save someone in your family from poor internet security. Uh, Over the Mother's Day weekend, I got to see my mother-in-law. She's a wonderful lady, nearly 80 years old, and she's active on the internet every day. And when I started helping her debug a problem on her computer, I quickly realized she has a terrible password and she's using it everywhere. So I was faced with the question, do I try and get her on one password, somebody who's not necessarily technically savvy, or do I let her go on risking it? And I decided to go ahead and take a shot. So I installed one password and set her up and I gave her some quick lessons in it. And honestly, it took me about 15 minutes to teach her how to set up her own one password passwords on all her websites. I was shocked how easy it was for her to pick it up. And that's the beauty of one password. You just need to remember the one password. And once I got her through that, she was totally cool with it. She was able to make her open passwords at new websites at will with strong, secure passwords. You could just see the relief in her face because she knew she didn't have very good password practices and one password just solved the problem for her. Uh, I did go in and change passwords at a lot of her old websites, so we got everything picked up there. I did that for her. But going forward, she is totally capable of making strong and secure passwords with the simplicity of 1Password. And I think that's the beauty of the application. Us nerds like to use all the power features in it, but there are people in our lives that just need that basic tool 
create strong, unique passwords at every website we go to and remember them for us. So why don't you use one password with a family member soon? You know, sit down with somebody that you know is at risk and help them sort it out. One password is the way to do it. And best of all, you can get 20% off a family plan if you just go to onepassword.com slash MPU. Once again, that is onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get that 20% off. Rescue a family member with one password. Thanks, one password, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. All right. So, you know, once you start putting this stuff to work, and then you have the benefit of app developers also contributing to this, you know, corpus of automation, there's so many things you can do. And we're going to talk through some of them in detail during the episode, but just a couple that are, are really easy to do that you, that listener, could set up during your lunch break today. You could set a photo as your desktop picture, or you could create a new email to a selected email address. All this stuff is done with just the built-in automator Lego is what I call them. But, you know, the the tokens and automator where you can create them. Add a photo to day one or upload a file to drop share or transmit. It's, it's really powerful if you go in there and start clicking between the action groups and the applications. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's applications that are very popular like Pixelmator Pro that ship with automator actions built in. So you can, you know, apply color adjustments to images or auto white balance or change types. Or, you know, if there's something particularly you do with an image that you want to, to be able to accomplish easily, for example, you could, you know, change the tonality, scale it down, put it into an email message and send it to somebody all of that's possible using their actions. You can just drag them right into a workflow, create a little recipe, add a send me- email message action at the end, and instantly you can just have your photo open, go, okay, I'm going to send this to the team for review, and bluff, it applies a color sync filter, does everything else, resizes it, scales it, puts it in the image, and sends it off. And that's just what you know, the abilities that they expose in their application. And all the different applications that contribute, it's amazing. But the really interesting thing about Automator that separates it from shortcuts or anything else is the fact that when we were developing it, we figured that, you know, there would be plenty of times when a particular application didn't offer an action or there was something that you wanted to do that was a little bit different. So we created these actions called run shell script, run Apple script, and run JavaScript. And when you add a run shell script action to your workflow, you have access to all the different shells that are with the operating system. You know, the uh, Z shell, the C shell, Perl, Python, Ruby languages. So you can literally put in specialized code that you copied from, you know, uh, a website or something that one of you guys gave you, put that into the middle of your workflow and it functions just like it was designed to be there all along. It allows you to expand your workflow beyond what the application developer has given you. You can change it the way that you want. You have total access to the frameworks of the operating system. Now, on iOS, Shortcuts doesn't have that ability. You can't just add in an action 
in shortcuts and put in your own custom scripting down to the low levels of the operating system. So that's a difference between Automator and other component style design automation tools. It really does give you that ability. And that's an interesting like dichotomy because sometimes I'll talk to people who will say, well, Shortcuts is more powerful than Automator because there are a lot more actions in Shortcuts and you can have loops and some other things that, that Automator doesn't have, which is true until you get to those actions where you can embed a script. And then suddenly Automator takes the lead because you can do almost anything on a Mac with a script, whether it's an Apple script or a shell script. And once you embed that into an Automator action, you know, all bets are off. That's a, a good point, David is that if you have a workflow that you're creating and it gets to be more than 10 actions in it, then something's wrong with the design of it. And that's the advantage of having the ability to insert a script in there so that the script is doing the loops, not the, not the workflow. You know, trying to add conditionals and loops into a workflow is very cumbersome because you're doing a generalized component structure, whereas a script is really designed for that kind of stuff. So you could take an Apple script that's got 30 lines of Apple script, and that just becomes one component in your workflow. And you're not trying to create that kind of scripting functionality at a workflow level. You're just adding a, a scripting a workflow component that turns to the scripting language and lets it do what it does best and then takes the result and puts it into the workflow. And then the workflow does what it does best. Yeah. And that's really not possible on iOS, as I understand it, to, to do that embedded scripting in that way. No, they haven't exposed that yet. It would be nice if they had the ability to have like the automator frameworks or some kind of component framework on iOS as well as macOS, and that it would allow you to do uh, your own control. Uh, instead of having a developer be the only one that can offer an action, you could create your own actions with, with the scripting actions. You create them yourself. Yeah. And you create them on the fly or use them as you need. And some a lot of times it's just a simple Apple script that calls over to another app and does something, gets something back. Or it could be a simple shell script. You know, I, I have a, a particular uh, special uh, service that I l always love to tell people about and I always have them create it themselves. It's for sorting paragraphs in text documents a lot of times you'll have some text that you want to sort, and it's not one of the default options under the contextual menu. But you can add that in there and create your own your own workflow that becomes a service for sorting paragraphs, and it has one action in it. If you like, I could tell you how to do it right now. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, uh, I'll walk you through the process. I'm gonna. This is gonna be a uh, magic here because I'm doing this without visual, but I'm so confident that your abilities to create this tool that I can walk you through it. Okay, you're but if, you're, if you're driving, don't try and type it into your laptop <laughs> at 55 miles an if hour. If you're holding a steering wheel, this is not for you. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're at your Mac, 
uh, open up Automator. And when you do, uh, if there's not a document window open, choose new from the file menu and a new document will open. Chances are when you launch Automator, you'll get this new document. And in the center of the new document will be an overlay that tells you the different kind of Automator documents that you can make. A workflow, an application, a quick action, a print plugin, folder action, calendar alarm, image capture plugin, or dictation command. You're going to choose quick action, which is the third one. And quick action is the new name for services. They decided that, you know, it needed an update in the name. So they they said quick action. And once you do, then you're going to get a workflow window with the left side being the library of actions that are available to you. And on the right side is is your, your countertop where you put everything together and you assemble your workflow. At the top of the right-hand side, when you have a quick action, it is contextual. It changes based upon the type of data that you're going to use for your input. And in our case, we're going to use text. At the very top is a, a menu that says workflow receives current, and then there's a pop-up menu, and by default, it is text. And if you click on that, you'll get a bunch of options like text, rich text, URLs, addresses, phone numbers, dates, email addresses, files or folders, folders, documents, image files, PDF, movie files, audio files, web content, or no input. We're going to put that on text. So we want our workflow service to accept text as its input. And to the right of that, we can choose which application we want this to be available in. We're going to leave it in the default, which is any application. So any application that supports text services, this is going to be available. Then there, right below that on the second row there, there is a checkbox that says output replaces selected text. Select that. So what that means is, the text that we get passed to us by the application that's selected, we're going to process it and reorder it and then put it back into the selection, but in a different order. We're going to create a tool for sorting paragraphs. So we leave that text box selected, and that's all we have to do there. We're now ready to add our first action to the workflow. And on the left-hand side, the library view, the two-column structure that has all of your applications or categories, there's a, a search field there that you can place the cursor in and just type the word shell, S-H-E-L-L. And then one action will be selected on the right-hand column for you called Run Shell Script. I want you to just click and hold on that and drag it into the workflow area and let go. And you can see that a connection's now made to the top where the input is going to come into the workflow. It's going to go into this action. And inside here, we're going to write a shell script that sorts the text alphabetically for us. Are you ready? You're going to become very powerful, and it's going to be 
incredible magic. I want you to type the word sort, S-O-R-T, lowercase. And that's it. That's a command in Shell for doing alphabetical sorting of text. So now this is going to be our workflow. And we can save it by just going command S and then save this as sort paragraphs. There you go. And choose to save that. And then that automatically becomes installed into the services architecture for you. You don't have to do anything else. You can quit Automator if you like. And let's go to text edit and create like four paragraphs of text or just four rows of text in with random things. I, I have like a paragraph that begins with D, a paragraph that begins with C, a paragraph that begins with A, and a paragraph that begins with B. I'm going to select all the paragraphs in the text edit document and right-click or control key, click into the selection. And at the bottom of that pop-up menu, you'll see a menu for services. And if you click on that, it shows all the services that are currently available for working on selected text. And our sort paragraphs service now will appear. And if I select that, it will sort the paragraphs and replace the selection with the sorted paragraphs for us automatically. Yeah, one shell script with four letters, sort. <laughs> sort. <laughs> I always used to love to demo this because it would just blow people's mind like, wait a minute. Okay, he's writing shell. I don't know anything about shell. Sort. Okay, we're done. <laughs> yeah. I, I do the same thing with Apple Script. I say, if you want to write an Apple Script, just write say, S-A-Y space, and put yeah. anything in quotes, and it'll say it. It'll and say it. In fact, you could put that in this script at the end, do an Apple Script embed and say, say, I'm sorted, and then it would say I'm sorted. So you, could. <laughs> you could. There's a there's a command, if you, if you look in the library and you sort for uh, speech, there's speak text. There's a speak text action that ships. So you pass it text and it will speak in any voice that you've chosen. So that can be part of your workflow as, to, as well. And then there's text to audio file. And every Mac ships with a workflow, a service that adds the selected text to the music app. And originally it said add to iTunes as spoken track. And now it says add to music as spoken track. And we did that for people that have a problem uh, uh, visually or uh, auditory and they needed to be able to take text and review it later. You can select text in any document, right click it, choose save to music as a spoken track, and it will create a new track with that text transcribed into voice. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by The IntraZone. When you're looking for a new show to listen to, go check out The IntraZone. It's a bi-weekly podcast with conversations and interviews on how technologies like Microsoft SharePoint, OneDrive, and related products can work for you and your business. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field so you can see how something like SharePoint can fit into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications. Each show covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, a focused topic of the week, guest perspectives, FAQs, and more. 
and the topics for each episode are really interesting. Previous episodes cover things like migration to the cloud, designing your intranet, and how APIs and teamwork can come together to make your entire organization, top to bottom, more effective. A recent episode focused on New Belgium Brewing, a company that needed to move away from a paper-based process as they grew, having a second brewing facility coming online, and so they needed to be able to digitize a lot of their workflow. And this episode uh, that came out the end of April really gets into all of that. Very fascinating to hear about how a company manages these things as they grow. So go and listen to it now. Just search for The IntraZone wherever you get your shows. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E, or click the link in the show notes to go check it out. Our thanks to The IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint for the support of the show and Relay FM. That really shows how simple uh, how simple these things can be, and I think that includes how we how we get to them. So when we started that example, it was a uh, a quick action, and I, I want to kind of move us into the the realm of services uh, a little bit because services are, uh, I guess, a a subcategory of automation on the Mac. Where again, going back to the idea of the point of need, you're somewhere in Finder, you're somewhere in an application, and you can select a service that works with the the type of input uh, type of input you're giving it. One of the things Automator can do is to create services. And I, I guess the idea there was to put that power in the hands of users. But there also are Mac services that are donated by applications completely separate of Automator. And I wonder if you could explain the sort of the relationship between the mm-hmm. Automator world and the world of services a little bit. So that's a great observation. The original architecture that Apple inherited when they got next had a services architecture. And it's basically the same concept that they use for system extensions today, where an application can say, you know, my my whole function is, is that I do this amazing stuff to data. And it's a shame that it's, I can, you know, you can only do it in my application. I can publish this functionality so that other apps can take advantage of it in their app. And this original services architecture and application w- declares that it has the ability to handle this data type, mm-hmm. a particular data type like text or image data or whatever it is. And because it advertises that, it would become available in the services menu. So that in, for example, in our example of sorting text alphabetically, if your app was a a text manipulation app, then you could declare that this is the kind of thing that I can do. And then the other app, when you're in the selection, all of those uh, services that are published by the other apps in the operating system appear there. And what happens is that the selection gets passed to the application that's going to do the work, the application processes it and then hands it back to the host application, which then uses that uh, manipulated data. And that's pretty much what they do with the extension architecture right now. It's a a variation of the original services architecture. So it was easy for us to fit this whole concept of, of, 
functionality in with the existing and live in their world and then organize the menu so that you, as a user, you didn't realize which type of service you were using, but it doesn't make a difference to you. You just want the result. So the difference is that the application in, uh, does the work itself rather than an action which has its own code do- doing the work. Okay. And this is like this massive list of services that are app donated that I think a lot of users don't even realize exist. And oh, yeah. Part of the problem with that is the location. You got to go to the menu bar and then you got to go to the, I'm sorry, you got to go to the preferences and the keyboard. And then what is it? It's like one of the sub menus of shortcuts and services. You got to like really drill into the preferences to get to this list. But once you get there, you find this big list of services and some of which you may want to turn off, like, you know, uh, Chinese writing, which I, I don't speak Chinese, so that's no use to me, but, but there's others you want to turn on and right in that menu, you can add keyboard shortcuts for them as well. So you can get those services right under a keyboard shortcut. Oh yeah. And if you, if you use uh, a lot of times, third-party applications publish services that you're not aware that they do. For example, if you have, uh, if you have drafts or bear, you know, two really great applications that uh, came over from the iOS world for manipulating text. Well, both of those publish services so that you can send the selection over to drafts or send the selection to bear. If you use uh, Dev and Think, they're automatically shipped with this whole series of, of services available to you. Uh, there's... Uh, a lot of different programs automatically ship with services. I know that Omni's apps include services too as well. Yeah. It's one of those things, David, that like you said, you, you're not aware of it. It's not uh, advertised a lot or talked about a lot. But once you become aware that there is this whole world available to you, you'll start looking for it and realize, wow, there's all this functionality that suddenly makes the computer a blend of abilities rather than these individual things of this app does this, this app does that. All of a sudden it becomes more of what can we do for you? What can all of these apps do for you rather than each one is its own world? Exactly. And I want to call out too, uh, in particular, uh, Sal mentioned Dev and Think, but, and Dev and Think, by the way, is an occasional sponsor of the show. They didn't know we were doing this. This is not sponsored material, but they have an app on the app store called word services. And you don't have to buy Devon thing for this. It's a free download in the Apple app store on your Mac. And it installs like 20 different word services. Like, yeah. you know, if you want to sort things, if you want, I mean, there's so many different services relating to managing words that you can use with Devon think. And another one, which I accidentally discovered while I was prepping for today's show is I have a, an app I use on my Mac called text case, which also helps like manage and format words. Well, they donated every capitalization methodology that you could have into services. There's like, I think there's like six or seven different kinds of title case. Like, do you want blue book? Do you want New York times or whatever? And all these are services you can activate. So like, if you want to apply blue book title case to a, a line, you could um, just, you know, set a keyboard shortcut to it. Let's say Control Option Command T, 
you set that in the services menu to the title case, blue book title case. And then anytime you're in an app that has words in it, you just select them and you hit the keyboard shortcut and you get title case. Just really useful things that these yeah. these app developers are putting out there. It's just a matter of becoming aware that this world exists for you. You know, that the, the Mac OS is such a rich, rich environment and it's really designed, it, it's not the, it, it's designed for you to explore. It's designed for you to be creative and, and a little bit of do it yourself. You know, if you have that attitude of, of I can, I can do this. I can, I can figure that out. Like the, your friend, the dentist goes, oh, I figured it out. You know, th- these are kind of things that you can take advantage of. You don't have to be a programmer to take advantage of the tech services that you just described. You just have to be aware that they're there and then look for them. And then look for them when you're shopping for applications. Does this application support these things? And if it does, send a note to the developer and say, you know, I really like your application because you offer services. Sal, um, can you tell, why is, it in the, why is this in the keyboard menu? Well, <laughs> like every big company, things go, are, are developed with a process. When, when you're part of uh, an organization like Apple, like the automation team was, you know, we get to contribute to uh, a lot of different scenarios and components in the operating system, but they're all expressed through a very specific window, like the system preferences app. Sure. And, you know, there's forces, there's, there's reasons why they make it difficult for you to get into the system preference because they don't want to overload it because they have to consider their users on a really global viewpoint. And as cool as we think services are and believe and know that they are, they wouldn't give us our own system preference pane. We had one, we designed it uh, to make it easier to get to these things, to sort them, to do all the kind of things you need to do. But it ended up that they didn't want to give that to us. So they kind of shoehorned us in there with keyboard under something called shortcuts. And then in that became another list called services. And then all the, all the functionality was in there. We used to have, uh, we designed a, a system preference pane for all the automation stuff so that it would be much easier to access your folder actions, uh, you know, Apple script parameters, all kinds of stuff and services. But we were never allowed to actually include that in the operating system. And Apple wasn't big on the idea of providing it as a download and because uh, they didn't want this whole thing to be overloaded, I guess. Yeah, I think it should have been provided as a download or installed and maybe disabled by default and you could turn it on or I don't know. I, I, I always thought that, uh, that that's a problem when it comes to automation is how do you explain it to people in a way that they understand? Your podcast has provided the opportunity for your audience to get a better understanding of what it is and where to look for it. And when you're a big company like Apple and you're trying to keep your message, you know, down to one or two, three catchphrases, automation is never, never usually there. It was a rare occurrence when 
I walked into uh, the convention hall at WWDC, and there was a 20-foot-tall banner of auto of the automator. That was a rare occurrence when we got on stage and, you know, we, we were on the, the box. That was a rare occurrence. Most of the time, automation isn't uh, one of the features that they push. They should. It's very sticky and it, it's, people love it, but it's not one that they market. All right. So listeners, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a treasure map right now. And I guarantee you, if you go through the X and dig, you'll find gold. So you go to preferences, keyboard, shortcuts, and then services. And then you've got all of this, this gold, all these tr- services available to you. Select the ones that you want to use. Unselect the ones you don't. The ones you want to use daily, put a keyboard shortcut. You don't have to do any scripting. You don't have to do any terminal stuff. You just turn these things on and they're waiting there for you. So there's your gold. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. All that stuff right there. And you know, the other thing, totally unrelated, if someone said, Dave, I'm giving you the keys to Apple for one day, I really think I would use that day redesigning the preferences menu. I, I just, I don't understand it. I look at, I don't know how everything fits together. I, I would, I would redo it. I'd probably, actually, I'd hire Steven to do it is what I would do. <laughs> it does have that dorm room closet look to it, doesn't it? It, it does. System preferences is, uh, I think it's long overdue for a, uh, an overhaul. And I would put, I would put services right up front, man. I would give you your, your preference pane. Yep. Yep. You know, that's, I, I, I believe so. Automation, everybody loves automation and everybody uses it. And the fact that shortcuts is so popular, it, it really took off. You know, it was just so heartening to see Ari and the team bring that to iOS and then to see people just fall in love with the ability of, wait a minute, I can make it do what I want to do. And I can do it on my phone and then to watch people talking about it and to realize where all this stuff, this stuff came from and how it got to be what it is. But then people watching people use it who would have never sat down and written code or anything, but all of a sudden are putting together these little components to make their own automation recipes and executing them on their phone without thinking about it. Yeah, That is really gratifying to see. And the team has done a wonderful job with it. And I'm looking forward to see what they have coming up. Yeah. When my teenage daughter asked me for access to my shortcuts field guide, I was like, wow, shortcuts is really, it's really here now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Right. Super I mean, cool. I think, I think part of it is the, um, you know, the customization of, of the app icons and stuff like that. But then once you, once you open it up, then the world's your oyster and people realize how, how useful it is. One thing about services though, I want to to tell people is this does not sync across if you have multiple Macs. So like once you set up your services on your laptop and if you've got a desktop, you need to set them up there as well. Yeah. Um, So make sure you do that. But, but I told you that that I told you where the gold is buried. You just got to go there and play with it. Wait a second. I believe that automator can be synced to iCloud. Can it? Yeah. uh, Automator can but the services that are donated from applications and like which ones you have enabled oh, and disabled uh right don't so they're like partially there so yeah i can save an automator workflow to iCloud but it's like that second step quite quite isn't there yet 
Yeah, right. Sal's part sinks the the That's automator right. stuff. That's right. <laughs> but the, uh, Again, but like system if, preferences. You know, if I get to redo it, I'm gonna put the the little iCloud checkbox next to automations. There you go. <laughs> and like like I have one for OmniFocus where I push a keyboard shortcut and it saves an email to OmniFocus. I have to inst- I have to set that keyboard shortcut on both Macs. Both Macs. I can't. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. That'd be a wonderful feature that they could implement so that you're, all your shortcuts and all your keyboard shortcuts and every, all your little customizations could travel with you like a profile or something, right? Yeah, so if we're if I'm in charge of Apple for a day, what's going to happen is I'm going to hang out in Cafe Mac and eat, and then Stephen's going to redo the preferences. You're going to have a busy day that day, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. I have, I have plenty of, plenty of ideas. You probably reorganized 12 divisions. <laughs> yeah. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. Go to Indeed.com slash MPU and get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post. AI can do some incredible things, but for most jobs in your company, you need a good old-fashioned carbon-based life form, preferably a brilliant one, preferably as soon as possible. If you're looking for great minds that move the world, you can hire them with Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview, all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. And only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications. And schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately, and Indeed skill tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skill tests, then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applicants that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash MPU. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash MPU. Once again, that's Indeed.com slash MPU. Offer valid through June 30. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Mac Power users and all of FM. So we touched on this earlier but uh, a change that came uh, just a few years ago with macOS Mojave was re kind of rebranding services that you could build in Automator for Finder, uh, renaming them Quick Actions. And they gained a couple of abilities. They now show up in the uh, the preview pane in Finder. So mm-hmm. again, like we can mm-hmm. go back to your the audio file example. If you have a quick action set up for audio, you don't have to go to the action menu in Finder. You don't have to right click. You don't have to go to the Finder menu in the menu bar. It just shows up right there, really making it really visible to the user. And I just, I found that so interesting that, and it was like on, I think it was even on stage, but a big feature to Automator and to services, making it more accessible than ever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I kind of wonder, like, what's Apple getting at with quick actions? We haven't seen much past that, but you mentioned the touch bar. Like, what are our thoughts on that? Well, first of all, there's some. I have a lot of this documented so that you can uh, 
if you're at home and you want to see the details about what he just described at the Mac OS 10 automation website, which is macosxautomation.com slash automator and then slash services. Uh, all the ways that it's the service, the new uh, quick actions are expressed through the finder uh, and various contextual points that he just described are there for you and they're numbered and you can see all the details. Uh, That'll give you your background and you can look at that. Now, I thought it was brilliant that they exposed it the way that they did and that they also added it to the uh, system preferences app in through the extensions preference mm -hmm. pane. And that then you could see, oh, okay, now I have this quick action that can be part of the finder collection or there's touch bar. Oh, okay. I can have them available there too as well. And I was really excited that they opened that up. And I was hoping that, uh, you know, they would provide like dozens and dozens of examples that people could download or at least provide a, a, a way that uh, people could get to those. But uh, they didn't follow through on that. I think a little, little short-sighted on the marketing side, but the architecture's there, which is great. Yeah, and the services we were talking about earlier can be placed in quick actions just as easily as they can be in the services menu. And, yes. and that's frankly where Automator pushes you now. When you open it up and you go to create a new one, it prompts you to create a quick action. Yeah, and uh, I have a whole set of things that uh, exist on my touch bar for actions. Uh, I even wrote some for doing uh, switching between um, partitions because uh, I do a lot of testing and I'm working on different uh, uh, operating systems at the same time. And I got tired of going through the multiple step process of opening up the system preference, going to the startup disk, clicking this, logging in, doing that. And I, I wrote, a, you know, basically like an Apple script service and I added it to my uh, touch so I could just tap that and then it would do five steps for me and I enter my password and then it would be booted into the next operating system. There's a lot of different things that you can do on multiple levels, like even the sort one that we just created, you can have that appear as a touch control as well. And then within applications, you look at the touch bar, there'd be a sort and button. You could just tap it with your finger. Uh, Sal, for folks at home, tell them, how do you put it? If you have a touch bar enabled MacBook, how do you put the, uh, the quick actions on your touch bar? Okay. Those are through the uh, extensions system preference pane. There's a category on the left-hand side called touch bar quick actions. And when you click on that, you'll get all the different uh, available ones that you can use would be on the right-hand side. And then you select uh, like a checkbox there to select the ones that you actually want to have appear on the touch bar. You want to keep them pretty minimal because the touch bar, you have to scroll horizontally if you have a lot of them. And so you want to make sure that the ones that you have on there are the, really the good ones that you really want to use. Like the one I just described, I called switch disk. 
And uh, I used to have that on there. And then photo library, where I could call up my photo library quickly. Uh, I had one for when I was working on web pages. If I, if I saw some image that I needed, like a graph about some statistics or something, uh, I used Automator to extract the image from that web page and save it down to my downloads folder called Extract Images. I had one that would take uh, a number, if I was in numbers and I had uh, some data on a spreadsheet selected and I wanted to make a pie chart and keynote with that data, I have one on the touch bar that lets me do that too as well. So the list of available ones would be there and then you select them. They'll appear there automatically for you. It cleaned up a little bit. They, They got part of the whole thing cleaned up somewhat. No, and I, I love the way that they embraced it into the Finder, the quick actions. Mm-hmm. And because I think that, like Stephen was saying, I mean, that is so much closer than a right click and then a sub click on a services menu. It's I at mean, the we're point getting, of need. Exactly. Getting even closer. Um, there's one that I have that um, I have kind of a funny story. I, I wanted to make a draft imprint on PDFs because on my lawyer job, I get PDFs all the time and people want me to send them drafts. And my, my big fear is I'll send a draft that's not done yet. And then somebody will sign it and like, okay, we got a contract. I'm like, no, no, you're not supposed to sign that one, you know? And so, (laughs) so I wanted to put a draft stamp on it and I started trying to write it in Apple script. And then I ended up writing it with an automator script. And then I was having trouble and I thought, well, maybe somebody did this before. And I, I searched on Google and sure enough, at macosxautomation.com, you had an entire tutorial on that exact problem. <laughs> you uh-huh. had done it already. Uh-huh. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes. And by the way, gang, macosxautomation.com, if this, if this show is at all interesting to you, set aside an hour next Saturday and just go to that website because Sal not only shows you things you can do, he has tons of videos and downloadable scripts so you can actually just install these things on your system and start running them. But uh, yeah, you had one there and it's a great, and, and I initially used it as a service, but now I've turned it into a quick action. So it worked where, for you? Oh, perfect. You know, yeah. I did, I did make my own draft stamp in uh, OmniGraffle because I, I made it even, because I have a, a favorite, I like Futura. So I made my own like font and, you know, all the nerd things that you do. And I drew a circle around it, but then um, I install it in the automator action, you have the ability to set transparency. So I set transparency at like 25%. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the, the power tip there is you lay it on top of the PDF. The first time I ran it, I didn't notice I had it putting it underneath the PDF. <laughs> and, you know, that doesn't do you any good. <laughs> yeah. But, the uh, you know, we all make mistakes. But but then the other thing you do is once you make the stamp, you save it as a transparent PNG. Right. So that... Um, everything, you know, the spaces between the letters and everything is still completely right. transparent. Um, but it's a very simple, I think, two-step quick action. Yeah. yeah. I probably run it like 10 times a week because I'm yeah. constantly sending drafts out. And um, and there are apps out there to do this, but none of them do it as good as a simple quick action. No. And you could even create a, another quick action for yourself that does encryption of the PDF. So yeah. if you yeah. wanted to send it, you could just you right-click it, go, and the encryption dialog comes up. You add your password, it goes down, you're done. Yeah. It's, yeah. Just, it's, it's really great. And, like, that's, that's a problem that I solve with it. 
Um, I think I wrote a post on it at one point in Max Sparky. I'll either link that or I'll definitely link the Mac OS X automation page on it because that's kind of the the uh, canonical method to set this up. You know, they have these architectures in place. And I know that this is a period of transition for Apple where there's so many things developing and they're kind of you know fusing things together and borrowing ideas from different platforms and putting them together. And I really hope that Apple keeps the uh, flexibility of this and, and the ability to expose all of the power of the operating system as they move forward having this this type of architecture there really does empower everybody from the developer to the user to the people that write these or to the people that just use them like you said David you know you just wanted to create a draft stamp and i can do that it takes a couple of minutes you can do it yeah and you know i felt like the m1 transition if they really wanted to throw this stuff overboard was an excellent time for them to do it and they did not you no. know if anything they've they've kind of embraced it further by bringing quick actions and making it more visible yeah you know you give people this kind of tool uh, apple script and automation in the operating system have been around over 25 years yeah and it's honed very powerful architecture and People, once they have the ability to automate something, they're not going to want to go back to not having it automated. That's sure. not the way people work. Human beings, once we've automated, we move on and we will continue to use the automation until it gets broken. And at that point, then, then we deal with it and then we look for a solution. And that's why it's so sticky for developers. Developers that offer automation in their apps are ensuring that their customers will have an experience with them and stay with them and be loyal to them until they break it. And if they don't break it and they keep expanding it, their audience will just grow and remain loyal. Something else that was real promising for me is, you know, I have that separate podcast, The Automators, that I do with Rosemary Orchard. And uh, the last in-person WWDC, Rose and I did an automators meetup one day at WWDC. And it was shocking the number of people from Apple that showed up for that. And it wasn't just the Shortcuts team. It was people just in Apple who are automation enthusiasts. And that was really promising for me because, you know, like you said earlier, Apple is not a solitary block of aluminum. It is a bunch of humans. And uh, as long as there's humans there that are enthusiastic about automation, I think we're, we're probably in good shape. Well, they also listen. They, they might not want you, want you to think that they're listening to you, but they pay very close attention to uh, what their customers uh, are doing and what their customers are excited about. They do listen. So if you ask for it, then it will be there. So your job as a consumer of automation is to keep asking for more and more. Yeah, that, that's my problem. Every time they give me one feature, it lights me up for three more. <laughs> I met Ari and some of the shortcuts. I said, the problem you guys have is every time you add something, it, it adds, you know, it, it multi, it's like exponential. Then I wanted to do this too. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Make Do from Relay FM. Make Do talks about hobbies. 
It may be art, but it may be something else. And you don't want to monetize those hobbies. But if you do, the Make Do podcast is ready to be your cheerleader. Host Tiff Arment is a glass artist, painter, and photographer with a not-so-secret past in Broadway costuming. Also hosting is Julia Scott, a journalist, potter, and self-proclaimed textile goblin. Do is fun. I love the relationship between these two hosts. That really is what makes a podcast for me, and Julia and Tiff are great together. Some really great episodes include The Myth of the Tragic Artist and Don't Tell Me How to Hobby. I definitely recommend checking those out. Or just start from the beginning and listen to the whole crafty artistic journey these two have been on. Listen as you hobby. Go to relay.fm slash makedo or search for makedo wherever you get your podcast. And of course, there'll be a link in the show notes. Stephen, we were talking that there are some third-party apps there that may help you out with services. Yeah, a, a big one that I've spent some time with that's kind of made the rounds recently is one called Service Station. It's in the Mac App Store, and it has a couple of neat tricks uh, up its sleeve. I'm going to link out to Jason Snell's uh, blog post about it. You can really read in depth. But I think the the easiest one to sort of wrap your head around is it basically adds custom open with commands to the top level of the right-click menu, of the contextual menu. Instead of going into right-click, open with, and then, you know, 42 photo editors show up, you can just say, no, I just want Photoshop, or I just want Preview, or Pixelmator, or whatever. Uh, but it also has rules that you can build to control when services show up. So again, going back to that point of need idea, hmm. service station sort of builds even on top of that. So instead of saying, hey, these services all are for any audio file, you can say, I want these services just to show up just when I'm looking at MP3 or just hmm. when I've selected a WAV file. So it gives you a little more granular control over mm. what services show up when. And if you have a lot of these things, like a lot of us do, it can really help you narrow down that list so you can more quickly find what you're looking for. Excellent. Yeah, th there is one issue with Service Station, apparently in Big Sur. If it's running, it hides the fighter, finder icons used in cloud services like Dropbox or OneDrive. Yeah, it's a bummer. <laughs> Some people call that a bug. I call that a feature. That's <laughs> no, a bug. I want to know what Dropbox is doing. Uh, but uh, it, it seems like the developers uh, aware of that. So hopefully that gets uh, resolved here pretty soon. But it, it's neat to see. I mean, uh, you know, we're talking about technology that's been around since the next days or, you know, since Snow Leopard kind of in its current framing. But to still see developers working on it and adding features to it and looking at how to make it better and different. I just find that really encouraging, you know, something that like AppleScript, that is, it comes from really a previous time that you can still use it as a, a real first class citizen in terms of automation on the Mac is exciting. And that's what I see when I look at service station is that people are still working on this stack. The need for automation is universal. I mean, as human beings, we've always looked for ways to automate things throughout our history. Uh, whether, you know, look at farming, the, the advances in automation and farming have fed the world. 
it's it's a natural thing that that humans want to do. We figure out how to do something, then we figure out how to automate it. And as such, it should be a standard part of the devices that we use, the computing devices that we use, like our phones, our, our laptops, our iPads. It, it should be there because it's natural to have that there as well. And automation is never going to go away. It's it's a prime need, especially in businesses. And nowadays, the way that people use their phones is very sophisticated. It's uh, And they need the ability to have like shortcuts so that they can automate some of the processes that they do on just their phone. Yeah. And, and I love the way you can draw a line between, you know, a couple guys at Apple that came up with this Lego brick style automation for Automator, which then influences Ari and the workflow team, which now has millions of people doing automation that weren't mm-hmm. doing it before. Mm-hmm. It's all because it ties into a, a human need. That's why it works. And it's just a matter of how you present it so that more and more people can understand it and get familiar with it and 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 be okay with it. And that's a, a real contribution that Shortcuts has done. I watch people use Shortcuts for something like changing the icon on their on their phone and it's a simple thing, but the fact is is that they feel empowered to open up this app, create a workflow, put it back and then they did it themselves. Yeah. And, and they're they in the talk door now. about it. Yeah, now they're in the door. So they're going to do something else next time, yeah. a little more complex. Of course. It's it's very much like cooking. You know, people, you can sit there and watch the cooking shows on TV. And if if you want something, you can go down to the store and get it already shrink wrapped for you. But there's a lot of fun in making your own meal, right? And preparing that yourself. And there's a lot of gratification that comes from being able to do something yourself for yourself. You create a, a tool that really solves a problem for yourself. That's gratifying. And people are, are, are becoming more accepting of that. And I think the challenge for Apple is, is to keep presenting automation tools and, and keep those robust and present them to the, their user base in a way that they can absorb them and embrace them. Now, Sal, you spent a lot of time over the years teaching about this subject. I mean, I always felt like you did two things. Number one is you you helped advocate inside Apple to get the tools built, but you also on the outside taught a lot of us, myself included, how to use them. What are some of the more interesting and fun ways you've heard of people using automation uh, as you've taught this stuff? Home automation is probably one of the craziest things that, you know, there's standard things that you want to do in home automation, you know, open the garage, but I, I've seen some people put together some amazing things that feed fish and turn lights on and <laughs> off. And, and True you, Rube Goldberg. Yeah, you can really <laughs> get crazy with some of the things that people do. When I'm exactly five miles from home, it's going to do this and then have this so that when I walk in the door, there's my milkshake. You know, it, it's amazing when you when you give people the power what they can do with it and what their creativity, it's just endless. And that's the way it should be. Yeah. yeah. Rose and I were at Sal's house last year and for the bonus automators episode, 
we played Mousetrap with Sal because right. we figured if there's one game that we should play with Sal Segoyan, it's Mousetrap. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, it was. I think you won too. Memory did I, did I win or did Naomi win? Who won that one? I, I can't don't remember. remember. <laughs> well, it, it's really um, great to have you come on and talk about this stuff. I think for, for listeners, um, the big point Stephen and I wanted to make is just not enough people are using these services and um and we could do a whole nother show about shortcuts on ios and maybe on the mac in a few months who knows but the um uh but for now these services menus can dramatically increase your productivity on things like title case or sorting or you know draft stamping a pdf whatever it is the thing that you find yourself doing repeatedly on your mac there's a really good chance that between the resources at macosxautomation.com and and the show and even just that services menu, you may be able to dramatically increase your productivity. Steven, do you have any favorite services that you run a lot? I'm glad you brought up TextCase. I, too, had recently come, uh, come around to that because uh, it was on iOS and I've used it on iOS, but having yeah. it on the Mac is really cool. I mean, looking through mine... Uh, I really have several that I've I've made for things like scaling images or uh, putting different files and folders different places. It's actually interesting. In Apple's human interface guideline, they say, don't make a service that just says open in your app. Uh, they, they actually don't want you to do that because you have the open in uh, menu in the contextual menu. But even simple stuff like that, like, yeah, I want this sort of file to nine times out of 10 open in ByWord, but occasionally I do want to open something in, in BB Edit that I don't normally do. So beyond the custom image stuff, a lot of what I'm using day to day is, hey, sometimes I do want to open things in, in different places. Um, but one of the ones that I use absolutely just all the time is uh I believe it's yeah I believe it's one of the built-in ones uh but it is the uh the lookup in dictionary you know Apple has a dictionary app built in it has several different like uh tools within it so you have a thesaurus you have Apple's own dictionary you have Wikipedia and very often when I'm writing I will just right click on a word open a dictionary and then use the thesaurus or make sure that I am you know, using a word in, in the way that I think I am. I think a lot of people would just copy the word, paste it into Google, you know, look for the dictionary website and and go from there. But just right there, right behind the contextual menu is a way for me to very quickly jump into the dictionary. It sounds boring and it, it probably is. But as someone who writes a lot, I mean, I use that thing countless times a week and that time really adds up. Yeah, when I was prepping for the show, you know, because I hadn't spent enough time myself in services, I set them up the way I wanted them probably six months ago, and I hadn't looked at it. And when I went in my services menu, there were all these services that started with TC. It's like, and I just counted them while you were talking, 54 TC services. I'm like, what the heck is TC? Why is it putting all the services? And it took me a while to figure out it was text case, but ah. it, put, it put 54 services in the menu for me. Yeah, that's wow. a good example of maybe uncheck some of those that you don't need. 
Yeah, but they're all available to you. That's the beauty, yeah. right? You know, like text case has been an issue for me. Like I didn't know which text case I wanted to use, and it's got all of them here. I just picked, you know, once I picked the one I wanted. Um, I won't. Now you're the journalism major, Stephen. Which text case <laughs> format am I supposed to use? I mean, for five twelve pixels and for podcast episodes, I use the AP style for headlines. I know not okay. everybody agrees with that, <laughs> Jason Snell, <clears throat> but that's uh, that's how I operate. Well, they've got it here. Text yep. case AP. Yep, it's all one right. of the ones that I've got selected. I use it all the time because it's one of those things. Like, I'm not sure this word is supposed to do this or that. Well, yeah, maybe in the past I would copy the text find some website, paste it in, get the result, copy it, paste it back where I'm working. And what's great about this is it doesn't take you out of the flow. You can just do it right within your context. And that's really the the beautiful thing to me about these services is that I don't have to take what I'm doing and put it somewhere else. I can just continue to work the way I want to work and let the Mm -hmm. computer work for me. And I think the best automations are exactly like that. Yes, that makes total sense. One of my favorite autumn uh, services is creating uh, an EPUB document just in the finder from text files and image files. There's an automator action uh, that allows you to turn past information into an EPUB file automatically, and it ships with the operating system. There's also one for turning text into images, too. And I did a whole tutorial on, uh, I used to do a tutorial on creating an EPUB book. We would recreate Alice in Wonderland from text on a web page to files on disk and images. And it would put it all together and go open it up in iBooks for you automatically. And I believe you still have resources for that at macosxautomation.com, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'll put a link up there for that too, as well. It's still, still an absolutely amazing thing to do. So it, it's like you guys said, there's whole levels of productivity that are available here. It's just a matter of creativity and, and looking at it and finding those kind of tools that you mentioned that give you that extra support. That makes a lot of difference. Now, Sal, if people want to learn more about this, they go to macosxautomation.com. I know that one. Is there anywhere else they should go? I'll put some links up there that uh, will take them to a couple other sources and to watch some videos that uh, I've recorded previously with Alex Lindsay uh, over at Mac Break Dev that uh, really talk about this whole concept and goes into detail of using services with Apple Remote Desktop. So not only can you run a service on your computer, but you can run services on other computers that you're managing and administrating. Yeah, and that's a whole can of worms we didn't even open today. You also wrote a bunch of automation scripts that people use to run uh, iOS deployment too. I mean, you're all over the company. Well, uh, yes. <laughs> we came up with the concept of uh, creating automator workflows for Apple Configurator. And once we added a set of Apple Configurator actions, then we figured out how to do it on attachment so that you basically, as soon as your iPad plugs into the Mac, it automatically goes through whatever formatting process you wanted to and configuration. And Apple took that concept and created a configuration utility that they use with their professional services that manages 
countless numbers of iOS devices using Automator on the Mac as the as the base. Yeah. Well, we sure appreciate all the hard work you've done over the years to help not only create automation, but advocate it. I think um, I really believe one of the reasons we're having this kind of renaissance of automation on iOS is because all the hard work you did over the years at Apple. That's nice. That that's, was always my goal was to share and, you know, to keep it open and it was my belief that the more people that use it, the better it would be for everybody because automation is such a freeing experience and such a freeing technology. And that's very gratifying, David, that, that you think that, you know, the efforts of myself and the dozens of engineers and people that I worked with at Apple uh, makes a difference in people's lives. That's a good thing. Well, uh, one other thing I would recommend is if you want to learn Apple Script, if you want to go a level deeper, Sal has a great <laughs> book on that called Apple Script One Two Three, and we'll put a link for that in the show notes too. I bought that and learned a lot from it, even after I took your course. Yeah. Well, we are at the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. You can sound off in the forums about this episode at talk.macpowerusers.com. Everybody make sure to go over and check out macosxautomation.com. Sal has just over the years built this massive repository of information on automation on the Mac, and you can download scripts and learn things there. I, it's one of my favorite sites to go just browse in, and you will like it too. Thank you to our sponsors, 1Password, Microsoft, and Indeed, and we'll see you next time.